one of these days I'm gonna I'll, I'm gonna walk through. I've had people ask about message prep, and message prep is the same for me every week. And uh, it's kind of nerdy, and you didn't come here tonight to hear how I prep a message. But last last Monday morning, I got up and I get I get up around five thirty, between five and five thirty on Monday. No alarm clock, just I wake up. Um, tomorrow I'm going to be a little off because the whole time change thing throws me off. Anybody get through? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so last Monday I get up and I go up to, I've got like a room over my garage. I call it the upper room. Um, it's, it's like I get close to Jesus there. And so I go up there and I'm looking over my notes and I had this message for today and I was really excited about it. But when I was preaching through it, because I, I walk around in that room and I preach it out loud, by the time I get on this stage on Sunday, I preached it between 25 and 30 times and I make edits every time. So I'm going through the message, I'm preaching out loud, and I don't feel it. I'm not, it's, it's, not, it's not clicking. And I'm like, God, what is wrong with this message? And I couldn't figure it out. So for me, if I need to decompress and get my mind right, I go for a run. So I went for a 10-mile run. And, uh, and, and some of you think that's crazy, but it's therapy for me. It really is. It's therapy. So I'm running my 10 miles. And in the middle of this 10-mile run, I had this thought. I thought about a Bible study that I did about seven or eight years ago. And it was like a personal Bible study that I, was, I went into. And I was digging deep in the scriptures because I love stuff like that. And I was finding out some stuff for myself. And I just had that thought. Isn't it weird how you can just suddenly remember something from five, six, seven, ten 10 years ago, like a show or a picture or a song or whatever? So I had that thought. And then I just finished reading through the book of Genesis in my personal time with God. I, I get up and I read a chapter or two every morning and I read through Genesis and I love Genesis. There's some cool stuff in there. There's some, there's some woo stuff in there too, but I love the book of Genesis. So I, and, and the book of Genesis had a lot to do with that Bible study that I'd done seven or eight years. And so I, after listening or after kind of thinking through it, praying through it, I was like, well, I'm just gonna listen to a podcast. I listened to a guy I hadn't listened to and forever, and within the first five minutes, he had mentioned the same subject of the Bible study that I had done seven, eight years ago, and he was preaching out of the book of Genesis. And I said, okay, okay, so what I'm, what I'm getting here is I feel like you want me to do something else. So I sat down with a pen and a legal pad. Some of you don't know what a legal pad is. It's a pad of Pay, pay. Anyway, so I sat down with a pen and a legal pad, and I said, God, if you want me to preach something else, you're going to have to give it to me. Like, just, just lay it on me. And I wrote for a solid hour. And I got done writing, I looked at it, and I said, this ain't going to work. I don't think I like this. And he said, preach it. So tonight, I'm going to preach it. I preached it this morning. I feel like I preached it good, but I think I've saved my best for this service because because, because where we're going to go tonight, I've never preached a message like this in my life. So I'm, I'm really excited about doing it again. I hope you love it. At the end of the day, I can really say it's not just a, it's not a talk. This is a word that God put into me, I feel like, for somebody in this room or on the other side of the camera tonight. All right? So let me start like this. There's only one group of people on the planet that I can make fun of and get away with it. It's white people. I can say anything I want to about white people. And in fact, I've been in ministry for 30 years, had one person ever get offended for me for making fun of white people, and this person was not white. 
And I told this person, I don't care what you think because you're not white. I'm making fun of my people. And I can say that about my people because it's true. Now, some of you are like, how could you possibly make fun of white people? It's It's easy. Next time you go camping, look around. Who's there? White people. People of other races and ethnicities, they don't pretend to be homeless. But white people, we all out there taking pictures in our campers, right? This is the other one I thought about. Corn mazes. When you go to a corn maze, all you see is white people. You don't see this white person because I saw children of the corn, and I ain't trying to get in the corn maze with anybody. But it's white people. At corn, am I right? Am I right? White, white people, you watch a scary movie. Who is always the person that's going to get killed in the scary movie? It's the white person that walks into the house, walls are bleeding, voices are going, don't come in here. And white people be like, let's move the kids in and figure this out because this is peculiar, right? Now, that, that's, that's true. Right? And if you're white, you, now I can, I can make fun of Christians too, but like I'm just going to stick with white people right now. Now, if I said tonight, I'm going to pick another ethnicity and make fun of them, here we go. Yeah, it gets tense, doesn't it? It gets tense. Because you can't say something about another racial group or an ethnic group if you're not a part of that. That's pretty much the rule. Except for one group. There's one group of people that for the past, oh, let's say 6,000 years, I would say they're the most persecuted ethnicity on the planet, and it's the Jewish people. Now, I know a lot of people would make a case for another ethnicity or maybe your own ethnicity that you're the most persecuted, but we know for a fact that at least on two occasions in the book of Esther in the Old Testament, And after World War II, we found the documentation that there has been a plan to literally kill every Jewish person on the planet at least twice in history. I'm going to say that's persecution. And it seems like, for the most part, anti-Jewish statements, some people, not all people, but some people seem to be able to get away with those. If you've been paying attention to the news lately, you've heard Kanye West say a few things uh, that are considered to be anti-Semitic. Now, let me pause real quick. I am not going off on Kanye. I think as an artist, he's he's incredibly talented. I think as a designer, I wish I would have came up with Yeezys, but but Kanye did, right? I've got nothing bad. I can I can admire a person and not agree with what they say. That's that's just reality, but. It caused me to think about how the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, have been targeted for persecution for thousands and thousands of years. And that's a big deal. The reason it's a big deal is because I happen to love the nation of Israel. I've been there 17 times, and every time I go there, it's one of the most beautiful places. When you go to Israel and you look around, you will literally stop and go, oh, I see why Jesus chose this place to come to because it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. The hospitality is over there and I love the Jewish people. Now, I've had people ask me, Pastor P, are Jewish people Christians? And this is always my answer. Not yet. 
Jewish, the Jewish people are Jewish. Christians are people that recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Jewish people would say they do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah unless you meet a Messianic Jew. And a Messianic Jew is somebody that grew up Jewish or is Jewish and recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. And you want to like have your mind blown about the Bible? Sit down and talk with a Messianic Jew because they know so much about the scriptures. But it's amazing to me the, the amount of persecution that comes at the Jewish people from people that consider themselves to be Christians. It's mind-blowing. Because at the end of the day, if we're, if we're Christians, if we're followers of Christ, Romans chapter 11 tells us we've been grafted in to Judaism. Like we, we've been grafted into the branch. And instead of, instead of shunning Jews, we should be thankful for them. And God, when he's talking to Abraham and he's setting up this whole nation of Israel, Jewish race thing, this is what he tells Abraham. And by the way, this is true of all God's children, but this is what he specifically says to Abraham about his nation, the nation of Israel. He says this, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And ultimately through Abraham, we get Jesus. So there's the blessing for all of us. But I find it fascinating. He said, I will bless those who bless you. And basically said, I'll curse those who curse you. Don't miss this. God always fights for his children. Think about this. Book, book of Exodus, book of Exodus, chapter one, Pharaoh is going for population control. In order to achieve population control, he tries to have all the Jewish boys drown in the Nile River. You remember this story from Sunday school? Everybody say, if you remember it, say amen. amen. Okay, okay. So that's what Pharaoh does. But you gotta be careful because what you try to do to God's people, God will eventually do to you. Because in Exodus 14, God drowned Pharaoh and his entire army in the Red Sea. Don't mess with God's people. The reason I say that is because there's somebody here tonight, you feel forgotten, you feel alone, you feel like God has turned his back on you, when in actuality, God is fighting for you. God always fights for his children. I don't know who that was for, but that was for somebody, probably online, but it was for somebody in the room. Okay, now we're gonna move on. Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman in John chapter four. This is the woman at the well, which kind of feel sorry for her because she didn't get a name like Jennifer or, you know, Heidi or, it's like, what's your name? Woman at the well. Okay, great to meet you, woman at the well. This is what Jesus told her. And it, it kind of sounds a little sideways. This is like Jesus getting a little, this is sassy Jesus. He said, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. In other words, girl, you don't know what you're talking about. He said, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Now, that's a true statement. Salvation comes through the Jews because, newsflash, Jesus was a Jew. He wasn't white, didn't have feathered hair, and didn't wear Teva sandals, all right? He was, he was a Jew. The scriptures that we read, the Bible, was written by Jewish people. And so, so I started thinking about, I started thinking about this, I started thinking about the formation of the nation of Israel. I started thinking about 
the story of Joseph, because that's a pretty popular story in the Old Testament. Joseph, guy, coat of many colors. Once again, Sunday school, you learned about this guy. And then I started thinking about Jesus, and I began studying about seven or eight years ago the parallels between the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus. There's, now, there's over 100, but we're not going to cover all of them tonight. Cover about 82. But there's, there's over 100 parallels between Joseph and Jesus. So when I began to dig into this and learn about these things and then saw the practical application, this is not just a Bible study, the practical application that we can walk out of here with tonight, there's some super amazing stuff in this. So here we go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk y'all through it. And at the end, we're gonna circle it back around to like the whole racism thing. Y'all good with that? Yeah. Great. Here we go. Parallels. The birth of Joseph was a miracle because his mother was barren. His mother was, her name was Rachel. There's a guy named Jacob. And Jacob goes to work for a guy named Laban. Laban is kind of a shady dude. But Laban says, hey, what do you want for your wages? And, and, and Jacob says, well, you, your daughter's hot, Rachel. And Laban said, well, you got to work seven years for her. He's like, all right. And the Bible says he loved her so much that seven years seemed like a day. Doesn't that sound beautiful? And then on wedding day, Laban gave Leah. Now, Leah had a great personality. <clears throat> Let's just put it that way. And so the Bible says that Jacob went, like, thought he was Mary and Rachel, went to bed with Leah, woke up with Leah the next morning and was like, oh, my bad. I didn't realize what just happened. And then, and so then Laban conned him into marrying both women. And this is where I always will stop here because there's always a man. It's always a man that asked me after the service. So why could they have two wives in the Bible and we can't have two wives today? Do you want two wives, sir? Is that what you want? Do you want two wives? Do you really want two wives? Because you know what you get when you get two wives? Somebody like, double the sex. Ah, you ain't getting double the sex. You getting double the trips to Target. You getting double the Amazon packages. You getting two mother-in-law, sir. Do you want two wives? Do you want two wives. Some of you need to turn to your wife right now and say, you enough, baby. You enough. And I'd set some of y'all for success and none of y'all move. Dear God, you better show up next week to what is a man because we're going to talk about that. Now, the birth of Jesus was a miracle because his mother was a virgin. So both of them came from miraculous births. Now, what stood out to me about this is that Jesus still does miracles today. Like, we celebrate the miracles he did in the scriptures, but he does miracles today just like he did then because Hebrews 13, 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, this is where some people go, well, I, I, don't, I, don't, see him, I don't see him doing any miracles. Well, this is what's fascinating. The miracle in, this particular, in these two particular stories is related to the birthing process. Now, once a woman becomes pregnant, it takes some time to get the baby out. Am I correct? Yeah. In fact, the first month or two, she, you're not showing. Am I right? But then how far along are you, A? Huh? About five months? And you're starting to show a little bit, right? Okay, now Addie's brand new to the South, so I'm going to walk Addie through what's about to happen because she's, <laughs> she's five months pregnant. And about two more months when you're really showing in the South, Everybody at the grocery store who don't even know you thinks they can touch your belly. Am I right, ladies? They're like, oh 
my God. So I'm gonna get you a shirt. There's a shirt. I'm gonna get you the shirt. And the shirt says, if you didn't put it in here, keep your hands off. And it's got an arrow pointing to your belly, all right? I'm gonna take care of you, Cole. It's true. It, it, the baby has to grow inside the mother. And after about nine months, baby's breaking out, right? Now, the reason I say that is because God has started the miracle process. And I, I believe some people, I believe God started the miracle process at some point in your life over the past month or two months or three months. You're just not showing yet. I would even go as far as to say this, don't abort your miracle. Don't walk away from the house of God. Don't walk away from the presence of God. Don't walk away from the people of God. Don't walk away from doing the right thing. God wants to do a miracle in your life and it's gonna take some time. But when you get, listen, when you start showing, people are gonna say, there's something different about you. There's something going on with you. And when you give birth to that miracle, you'll have something to celebrate. Is the birthing process painful sometimes? Yeah, see, we think the miracle process is easy, but sometimes the miracle process is painful. But on the other end of that pain is a celebration when you hold that baby for the very first time. And some of you, three, six, nine months from now, you're gonna be holding a miracle that you didn't give up on because you showed up tonight and you heard that God's still doing a miracle in your life. You're just not showing yet. All right? Let's go to the next one. Next one is... Joseph had dreams, tells his family, and they reject him. Now, to be fair, his dream was, hey, guys, one of these days, y'all all going to bow down to me. Pretty self-centered, right? But he was 17. Y'all remember when we were 17 and we knew everything? Y'all remember that? So Joseph had dreams. He tells his family, and they reject him. Jesus had a calling. He began to work, and his family rejected him. In fact, in Mark 3, it says that Jesus' mother and his brothers and his sisters went to get him and try to bring him home because they thought he had lost his mind. And what this brought up to me, what this reminded me of is a couple things. Number one, if you're gonna follow Jesus, if, I, if, if, I'm gonna, if we are gonna follow Jesus, then we've got to understand that there's a lot of people that aren't gonna agree with the direction that we're walking in. There's a lot of people that's not gonna agree with our views on marriage, our views on sexuality, our views on money, our views on the church. There's a lot of people that will reject us simply because we're doing what God called us to do. But there's something deeper in this and it's that whole rejection thing. Nobody likes feeling rejected. Nobody likes being rejected. I don't like being rejected, but all of us knows what it's like to feel rejected by someone at some point in our life. But like I put on social media this morning, rejection means a new direction. Anytime, anytime the world shuts a window, God opens a door. We just gotta wait on his time because Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11 says, he makes everything beautiful in his time. So if you've been rejected, if you've been shut down, understand, even by those closest to you, which hurts the most, rejection simply means a new direction. Let's go to the next one. Joseph was thrown into a pit and left for dead. Now, that's a bad day. He's, he's walking up on his brothers. He's got his coat of many colors on. They attack him. They beat him up. They strip his robe off, and they throw him in a well, and they're going to leave him for dead. Jesus was thrown into a tomb and left for dead. Listen, when, when they buried Jesus, 
and walked away, nobody got together and said, hey guys, in three days, let's show up at the tomb and start counting backwards from 10. Roll some smoke machines because this resurrection thing is gonna be, nobody, nobody expected that to happen. And I would imagine Joseph being thrown in the pit, Jesus being left in the tomb. I, I imagine for Joseph, there was, there was some fear in the pit. Would you agree? Yeah. There was some confusion in the pit. Would you agree? There was some hurt in the pit. Would you agree? And there, the reason I say that is because there's some people tonight going, I feel like I've been, th- there's darkness in the pit. You can't see. And there's some people here tonight you feel like maybe you're going through a dark season. Hey, I get it because we all experience dark seasons. That doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. It just confirms that you're human. There's some people in here going through frustration. There's some people here going through confusion. There's some people here that don't know what's next and you can't see the light. Here's what I want you to understand. You know the story. Joseph came out of the pit. Jesus came out of the tomb. If you are a Christian and Jesus lives in you, you are going to come out of that pit. It might not be in your time, but it will be in his time. And when it happens, the world won't be able to deny that Jesus Christ lives in you. Listen, if Jesus rose from the grave and Jesus lives in you, then why in the world would you be the only person on the planet that can't come out of the pit that the world has put you in? You can come out of that pit. You can in his time. Let's keep going. Y'all having fun? Man, I'm having a great time. Here we go. Joseph was sold into slavery, but it was Judah's idea. Judah's idea, right? Now keep this, this one blew my mind. Jesus was sold to the Pharisees, and it was Judas's idea. Judah and Judas in Hebrew is the same word, Yehudah. They were both sold out, betrayed by somebody close. Can you imagine Joseph looking at his brothers as the Ishmaelite traders are taking him off to Egypt? And Judas selling out Jesus. I believe that Judas was one of his closest disciples. Now, a lot of people push back on that, like, I don't know. But let me ask you a question. For those of you that grew up in church, what was Judas' job with Jesus? He was, was Jesus' treasurer. He was the treasurer. By the way, I said this in the second service. I didn't say it in the first. I just want to blow up every opportunity I get. I want to blow up the theology of people running around that say, Jesus was poor, and Jesus was broke, and Jesus was homeless. No, he wasn't. How many broke, homeless people do you know that have a treasurer? I've never been downtown and somebody asked me for some money and I pulled out my wallet and he went, hand him my treasurer. Why are you handing for me for money if you got a treasurer? Okay, Jesus was not broke. I don't serve a broke God. I serve a God who rules and reigns the universe, okay? You wanna serve, listen, you wanna serve broke Jesus? See me in the lobby tonight and give me all your stuff, all right? I'm just saying, Jesus and Joseph were both sold out. And here's what I know this can cause. Bitterness. There's some people here tonight. You've been hurt by somebody close to you. 
an ex, a child, a parent, somebody you thought was a friend. You're thinking about them right now. And when you do, you get bitter. Bitterness will break the flow of the work of God in you faster than just about anything in the world. Now listen, I'm not minimizing your pain. I'm not minimizing your hurt. I'm not minimizing what you went through. What I'm saying is when Joseph finally got out of slavery, he never talked down to Judah. He didn't come after Judah. He didn't try to kill Judah, and he could have. When Jesus rose from the grave, he didn't take three steps and sit down and go, Judas hurt me. Man, I can't get over that hurt. Judas really, man, I can't, I can't, I can't even move on with the resurrection because Judas hurt me so bad. No, he moved on. You know what that means for every single one of us? We can move on too. Now, somebody says, Pastor P, how do you get over bitterness? I'm working on it. Y'all okay with that? Can I be honest with y'all? If you're looking for a church where the pastor is the hero of all his illustrations, this this ain't your place. I'm working on it. I dealt with bitterness Friday night. Friday night I went to Publix. All I wanted was some blueberries and some ice cream. Don't ask me why. I just wanted blueberries and ice cream. And I got in the 10 item checkout thing and the woman in front of me had 12 items because I counted twice. (laughs) Bitter. But then, you know, you live in Anderson, South Carolina, you're going to run into some people that you used to be super close to. What do you do in that situation? For me, I'll tell you what I'm learning how to do. I haven't got there yet. I'm learning how to ask God to help heal the hurt in me when that happens. That's how, and, and, and it's starting to work. You can't pray, God, destroy their life. That, that's, that's bitterness, and God's not going to answer that prayer, by the way. But for me, I don't want the flow of the Holy Spirit in my life to be broken, and bitterness will break that flow every time. Amen. So if you got bitterness in you, it, it's one of those things you got to ask God, God, change my, take the hurt away that is associated with that bitterness. Joseph was raised out of the ground and ascended to the right hand of Pharaoh with all power and authority. It was one of the coolest transitions ever. Joseph was in the ground. When I say in the ground, he was in a dungeon. A dungeon in the ground. They didn't have five-star prisons back in Genesis, okay? No lawyers represent. They, They were in prison. He was in the ground. And before you know it, he's out of the ground talking to Pharaoh. And before you know it, Pharaoh literally makes him, he he sits at the right hand of Pharaoh with all power and all authority. Here's what's even cooler. Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father with all power and authority. Jesus Christ reigns today. I'm excited about that. Let me tell you why I'm excited. We got midterm elections coming up Tuesday. By the way, go vote. Go vote. 
I'm going to tell you who to vote for. Just, vo- just vote. Go, go vote. And then what we're all going to do, because I do it, I call it the adult participation trophy. We put up our I voted sticker on social media. That's our adult participation trophy, right? I voted. I voted. I voted. But it don't matter who wins. The reason I say that is in 1992, I was relatively new to Christianity. I've been a Christian for about two years. I, go to, I walk into church, 1992. Some of you will remember the 1992 presidential election. Some of you weren't even around. It was the year that Bill Clinton was elected president. I didn't know that who was president affected the church the way. So I walked into church the, the, the Sunday after the Tuesday he had been elected, and it looked like a, a funeral. Everybody's sad. I was like, what are we sad for? He said, Bill Clinton's president. I was like, yeah, I know. What are we sad for? He's going to take our nation in the wrong direction. Oh, okay. Am I supposed to be sad? I'm not sad. Am I supposed to be sad? I mean, I didn't vote for him, but I'm like, am I supposed to, well, you're supposed to be upset. Okay. Four years later, he won again. Y'all remember that? Republicans ran Bob Dole against, they ran a dead guy against Bill Clinton. Bob Dole, he, all he could walk around and say is, I'm Bob Dole. So that's all he could do. You're making fun of him. Yes, I am. I am making fun of him. He's white. So, so that's all he did. He walked around and said he was Bob Dole. And once again, all the Christians were mad. Y'all remember this? And then in 2000, all the Christians were happy because George W. Bush defeated Al Gore. Remember that? And all the Christians were like, oh my gosh, it's going to be great. And the next eight years, a Republican ran the White House and we had the worst recession we've had since the Great Depression. Let me pause. I'm not endorsing a party. I'm just telling y'all what happened. I'm just retracing history. And then in 2008, Barack Obama got elected and the church freaked out again. I heard all sorts of rumors. I heard more rumors about Barack Obama than I heard about me. That's a lie. This is, what I, this is all I'm trying to say. We should vote. We should participate. But at the end of the day, I don't care if there are more Republicans in the House or the Senate. I don't care if there's more Democrats in the House or the Senate. We serve a God who had a son named Jesus who was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father with all power. Jesus is not in heaven going, guys, 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 (laughs) the midterms. Ah! Jesus, like every time something happens, Jesus is like, I got this. I'm just saying he, he reigns. And by the way, a politician always lets you down. (laughs) Joseph was a savior. He literally saved the world from starvation. They they were going to run out of food. And Joseph saved mainly through wheat. I find that interesting because Jesus was a savior. He's bred a life. He He didn't just save us from hell. He saved us from living a meaningless life here on earth. That's the cool thing about Jesus. Salvation doesn't start when we die. Salvation starts the moment we accept Christ into our life. Now, I love the fact, I'll use the word savior here intentionally because a lot of people, when it comes to Jesus, they'll describe, oh, Jesus, he's an encourager. He's an advisor. There was even a very popular shirt for a while that said, Jesus is my homeboy. And I'm glad he's all of those things. But at the end of the day, I needed a savior. 
I thought about this when I, I spoke to students on Wednesday night because Cole had the flu, and I called him, and I was like, hey, man, how you doing? He's like, <laughs> I was like, okay, well, either he's demon-possessed or he's sick. I don't know which one, but he was sick. So, so, um, so I showed up Wednesday night, and it took me back to my youth ministry days. I used to, I used to do youth ministry. I was in youth ministry. I love students. Um, and I remember that one summer I took them to this conference in Panama City, Florida, and it wasn't that much money. And so we all, you know, we did all the, the car washes and the bake sales and the fundraisers. When we going to do that in a second chance? When hell freezes over, all right? Well, that's just, just crazy. So anyway, we got down to this hotel, and I realized why it was so cheap. The hotel had no stars. No stars. Somebody's like, why didn't you look on TripAdvisor? It didn't exist. Neither did the internet. So we show up at this hotel that was built in the 1800s. And I never will forget, I got on an elevator with two other people. And we were on the third floor. We're trying to get down to the first floor. And we pushed the button. And it got halfway between the third floor and second floor. And it stopped. No air conditioning. 98 degrees. Sweating like mad. And I was stuck. I didn't need an encourager. Hey, man, praying for you down there. You're going to make it. I didn't need advice on how to survive in tough times. I needed a savior. I need somebody. And, and it's crazy. When you get stuck in a situation like that, and the number of people are like, hey, just... um." Just push the button. You're a freaking G. I'm a man. I push the buttons. I mash the buttons. I punch the buttons. I did it. I was trying to get those. Nothing was working. I was unable to save myself. I was stuck. I needed a savior. Somebody came along that was stronger than me, that was wiser than me, and saved me out of that situation. When Jesus came into our lives, he didn't do it. He didn't do that because we were basically some good people that were struggling with a few things. I needed saving. I was at rock bottom. I was trapped in sin. I was trapped in a condition that I could not break free of by myself. I didn't need an advisor or an encourager or a homeboy. I needed a savior and I got him. His name is Jesus. He changed my life. He'll change your life too. So there's, there's so many things. There's, there's so many things that we can, I mean, there's like, Okay, so Jesus, I mean, Joseph was falsely accused and thrown into prison. Jesus was falsely accused and given to the Pharisees. This is the one that blew my mind. I just do it real quick. It's not gonna be on the screen. It's absolutely free. Um, Joseph, when he was in prison, he got put between two criminals. One was the baker, one was the cupbearer. And if you remember this story, they both had some dreams. And Joseph said, don't freak out. I'll tell you what your dreams meant. And the cupbearer said, well, this is my dream. And he said, oh, yeah, you can be restored. And the baker got super excited. So this is my dream. And Joseph said, yeah, you're going to die. And that's what happened. Jesus hung on a cross between two criminals. One cursed him. And the other one, Jesus said, today you'll rest with me in paradise. It's just, you know, people that say the Bible is boring, just, it's so good. This next one, though, this is what I love. Joseph revealed himself 
to his brothers on their third visit. Their third visit. Now, this one confused me for years. Because like when Joseph, so, so Joseph's down here in Egypt, he's at the right hand of Pharaoh and he's ruling and reigning. And then a famine hits the land. Jacob's over here in Canaan, modern day Israel. And he's like, man, we, they got food in Egypt. He tells the sons, y'all go get the food. And so they have to go in front of Joseph and they bow down. And Joseph sees them bow down and the Bible says he remembers the dream. And by the way, it's just a reminder that that when God puts a dream in our heart, it's not about us. It's always about way more than us. It's way bigger than us. But I would have thought Joseph would have been like, guys, what's up? Oh my gosh, I hadn't seen y'all since y'all threw me in that pit. I got a pit for you. Like he he didn't do that. He didn't even reveal himself. And he didn't do it the second time either. He waited till the third time they showed up. And the symbolism there, the typology there is so Beautiful and it's so powerful. And the third time they showed up. Now watch this. Stay with me. This is this is what blew my mind. This is where we're going to get into what you call actually what some people got together hundreds of years ago and they labeled eschatology. It's the study of the end times. Let me pause. Say this real quick. If you don't agree with my eschatology, that's okay. I hold it in an open hand. There are godly people that believe this, and there are godly people that believe different things. Also, if you want to argue eschatology tonight, no. The first-timers area is not for you. Don't come at me with your second coming chart and your graph and your, and I know what date. No, you don't know what date he's coming. I don't know what day he's coming. I think it's soon. I hope it comes before Tuesday so I don't have to go stand in the line to vote. But Joseph revealed himself to his brothers on the third visit. Look how he did it. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. Pause for a second. Pause for a second. Have everyone leave my presence except for his brothers. Now, his brothers were Jewish. Everyone else in the room would have been Gentiles. So he puts the Gentiles out of the room before he reveals himself to his brothers. Are y'all with me so far? Okay. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Question. In the book of Genesis, how would Joseph have been able to prove to his brothers that he was Jewish? Circumcision, yeah. That's the no, and nobody answered in the services this morning. They were like, oh, I don't, he, had a, he had a card. No, 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 it was circumcision. <laughs> circumcision. By the way, back in the day, back in Genesis, like no epidural day, circumcision left a scar. So you could almost say that he proved to his brothers who he was by a scar. Hmm. Hmm. So he, he revealed himself to his brothers, how many times did they have to appear? The, the what time? The third time? Okay. Israel has came into the land of Israel three times. Stay with me. The first time they came in was when Joshua led them in. Pastor B, where can I read about that? Book of Joshua talks all about it. They just killing everybody. It's just like Braveheart meets Gladiator 
meets Chuck Norris. They, they just going through, I mean, it's crazy, but it's awesome. I love the book of Joshua. The second time they came into the land was after the Babylonian captivity. So Babylon came and took them away captive, and then they came back, and that's where we get the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, and then we see all sorts of things. And they were in the land until about somewhere between 66 and 70 AD. Then the Romans came in and dispersed them among the nations. But the third time was May 14th, 1948. The, the nation of Israel was formed in a day. Now that's a big deal because nobody's going to wake up tomorrow and see, oh wow, another nation got formed today. This is, a, this is a big deal. By the way, it's the third time they came into the land. And Jesus said, that generation, 80 years, is a generation in scripture, will not pass away before they see the kingdom of God. We think, we think prophecy's cool. It blows my mind when people say, oh my gosh, have you read that stuff about Nostradamus? He, pred he predicted, he predicted. No, he didn't. Nostradamus didn't predict. I've read his stuff. He said things like, in 500 years, a world leader will die. Duh. I can go ahead and tell you, in the next two years, a world leader will die. Does it make me a prophet? No, it just means I'm human. I know what, that we live in a fallen world. People die. Hello. But the prophecy in the Bible, Israel being formed May 14th, 1948, thousands of years before, Isaiah said, who has ever seen anything as strange as this? Who has ever heard of such a thing? Has a nation ever been born in a single day? Has a country ever come forth in a mere moment? Isaiah wrote about it. That's Old Testament stuff. Now, let me tell you why this is powerful. When Joseph revealed himself to his brothers by showing his scar, he put the Gentiles out of the room. Am I correct? I really do believe, based on my best understanding of the scriptures, that when Jesus reveals himself to the Jewish people, he will put the Gentiles out of the room. What is that, Pastor P? It's called the rapture. Pastor P, you believe in a rapture? That an angel's gonna stand forth and blow a trumpet and Jesus is gonna come back? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't believe in a pre-trib rapture. I believe in a post-trib. Good, I hope he lets you go through it. I believe in the pre-trib one, the one that I think the Bible teaches. And when God raptures his church, when God raptures the Gentiles, and then he reveals himself to the Jewish people, we're gonna get to go to a place called heaven for seven years. The first three and a half years is the great wedding supper of the lamb. I don't know what it's gonna be like, but this is what I know. God knows how to throw a party. And if anybody knows how to throw a party, it's gonna be, and we're gonna celebrate the next three and a half years. We get our blessings that God promised is us when we get to heaven, and then we're going to come back with him and, and rule and reign with him on earth. And by the way, he's coming back to Jerusalem, not Washington, D.C., not London, not Paris, but Jerusalem. By the way, that's in Israel, because during that time, he's going to reveal himself to the people of Israel. Pastor P, how's he going to do it? They're going to see his scars. That's what Zechariah said. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and, and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me whom they have 
pierced. That has me so excited because they're going to see a, a nationwide and eventually a worldwide revival. We're going to be in a place called heaven because, because Jesus, I believe, is getting ready to reveal himself to his people. I'm ready. Hope you are. You know what else I hope? I hope this church takes this teaching seriously. Because if we do, we'll understand a couple things. Number one, we got work to do. There's people outside these walls that, that they're not living for Christ. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. And we've got a mandate, we've got a commission to go reach as many people as possible. I've got in my, in my journal that I've got on my phone, I got a prayer that I write and I boiled it down to four letters, A-M-A-P, A-M-A-P, as many as possible. How many people ask me all the time, how many people do you want second chance to reach? As many as possible, as many as possible. I want us to reach as many, because this is the best news in the world. Because we get to go to a place called heaven. Now, I don't know what you think about heaven. I don't know what you believe about heaven. I, I'm fascinated by it. I've read um, several books by people that claim they have died and, and been there and they've seen some stuff. And I've had people ask me, do you believe that stuff? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I think it's fascinating reading. I have no idea what it's going to be like, but I can tell you what I'm, I'm excited about. I'm going to get to see my mom. She's going to be beautiful. No cancer. No broken down body. No hair loss. No loss of color in her skin. Radiant glorious. I'm going to get to see my dad. And when I see him, he's going to, he's going to know who I am because Alzheimer's will have no more effect on his brain. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about seeing the Bible heroes. I'm excited about seeing Jesus. But one of the things that has me the most excited is what a guy who wrote a book about heaven said You've probably, you've probably heard of him. His name is John. His book is called Revelation. Now I'm going to take his word for it. This is what John said about heaven. This is why I'm so excited. Because see, here on earth, we deal with, we deal with sickness, and we deal with death, and we deal with racism, and we deal with hatred, and we deal with all these things. But John said when we get to heaven in the book of Revelation, he said, after this, I saw a vast crowd. Let me pause. I don't really like crowds. Hell, hell, you can have your own space. Heaven's going to be crowded. Heaven's going to be crowded. How many are we going to reach? As many as possible. Too great to count. From every nation and tribe, and people 
and language. Every nation and tribe and people. Can you imagine that? Every nation. See, right now we've got borders and we've got division and we've got certain political preferences. But when we get to heaven, all of that goes away. And people from every nation and tribe and people and language, we are unified together, not over political ideology, but over a man named Jesus who died on a cross to pay for our sins. And we can celebrate that. And he, and John goes on to say, standing in front of the throne and before the lamb, they were closed in white robes, white robes. You know what that means? When we stand before Jesus, we stand before him as pure. Our sins are paid for. I know there's somebody here tonight. You struggle with your past. You struggle with what you did, but in heaven, it's not about what you did. It's about what Jesus did on the cross, how he paid for our sins. And we get to stand in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the lamb. That is what we get to do when we get to heaven. We get to sing, we get to shout, we get to celebrate Jesus. I want to thank you, God, tonight that your promises are true, that your word is true. God, that no matter how we walked into this room feeling, we can walk out knowing that you are on the throne and Jesus, you are alive. With heads bowed and eyes closed right now in this room, I don't know what you, maybe you walked in and you feel like you're in the pit. Maybe you're wrestling with bitterness. Maybe you've almost given up on that miracle that God is doing inside of you. I don't know what God spoke to your heart, but take just a minute and speak back to his right now and just say, God, maybe you walked in tonight with a weight on your back and you're like, I need to give this, I need to give this to you. I need to surrender this to you. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never prayed to receive Christ. That whole heaven thing, you're going to miss it because you've never asked Jesus to come into your life. And you know, tonight is the night you need to ask Jesus to come into your life and be your savior. If that's you, then I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer and I'm going to invite you to pray it out loud. Now here's what's cool. Our second chance family, we pray this prayer out loud every week and we pray it for the benefit of those that are praying it for the first time. So if you know you need Christ and you want to ask him into your life right now tonight, I want you to pray this prayer out loud and second chance, let's pray it with them. Just say, just say Jesus Christ. I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sin. And right now, Jesus, I receive you into my life. Come in and take over. In Jesus' name. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room, if heads bowed, if you just prayed that prayer, if you just asked Christ to come in your life, I want you to do me a favor and I want to put you, I want you to put your hand straight up in the air because I want to pray with you. I, amen. I want to celebrate with you. I want to pray for you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Father, I want to thank you. All day, all day today, Jesus, you have saved people. All day today, Jesus, you have saved lives. All day today, Jesus, you have encouraged us. I pray as we walk out of this place, we will walk out with our heads held high in victory. Not because of who we are, Jesus, because of who you are, because of what you've done, because of what you're going to do. We love you, Jesus. We celebrate your name in this house tonight. Everybody that agreed with this prayer said, amen and amen and amen. Are you glad you came to church tonight? Me too, I'll see y'all back next week. God bless, have a good one.